the Startup Sensations podcast. First-hand accounts of the real stories behind the successes, challenges, and opportunities of starting and growing a startup company. Welcome to Startup Sensations, from both sides of the pond, with Belent Osman and Shelley Bays. And welcome back to another episode of the Startup Sensations podcast with me, Belent Osman, from near enough London here in the UK. And me, Shelley Bays, here on the Northern California coast where it is sunny one more time. Oh, really? How lovely for you, Shelley. <laughs> well, Shelley, we've got a, another, I think, really interesting episode, actually. And um, it's a recurring theme in this season one that we have because it's another VC, another venture capitalist, but this time from America, from Boston on the East Coast, uh, close to where I think you uh, were brought up uh, initially, Shelley, I I believe. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, it's interesting because we've had three uh, venture capitalists on the series already on the show. Uh, If you remember in episode two, we had a British venture capitalist called Raj, although he is now working and uh, living in Silicon Valley in California. And also we had Michael in episode seven, and he was based in Singapore. And we had Helen in episode eight, who's based in Dublin. So this is our first American VC. Yeah, you know, this is going to be interesting because if you recall, Raj, I think, pointed out uh, when we asked him about uh, the cultural and other differences between Uh, doing business in the U.S. and Britain, he said, well, in the U.S., it's even different coast to coast. So as you pointed out, Raj, I was located here on the California coast, and Tom uh, is on the East Coast. And I think there are distinct differences between how venture capitalists, entrepreneurs, et cetera, operate even on these two coasts. So this will be fun to to hear his perspective. Well, indeed. And uh, our guest uh, today is a guy that I've known a very long time indeed. We actually worked together in the UK working for a software company where we were both enterprise salespeople. His name is Tom Mayer. Uh, he's based in Boston. And as we'll hear, he's been a venture capitalist for some years. But he's had a very interesting background initially as a consultant, then in sales. And that's when I first met him. And then his career moved on from that into a number of different areas, including obviously what he currently does today. Tom Mayer now joins us from Boston in the US. Hi, Tom. Welcome to the Startup Sensations podcast. We are delighted to have you on the show. How are you? Great. It's great to see you. Well, it's been too long. Good to see you and Shelley. Thanks for having me on. Tom, can, can you start off by telling us uh, about Nassau Street Ventures and what exactly is managing partner you do that? Yeah, so Nassau Street Partners, a uh, venture fund. It's part of Alumni Ventures, which is a big venture capital firm. We've got about 20 funds here organized around alumni from different schools, and we invest in anything. doesn't need a school connection. And um, so I do investing across all sectors and stages and geographies around the world. Alumni Ventures is one of the most active venture capital firms. We're doing one or two deals a day. Wow. Um, We've got over a billion in assets under management. And uh, so it's great fun for me. I get to look at all kinds of interesting companies and 
build a portfolio for my investors. That sounds great. And we'll, we'll, we'll definitely spend some time talking about that. But just before we do, I, 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 need to, I, I need to do full disclosure here, which is that I've known Tom for uh, a very long time. He and I worked together in the UK some 26 years ago. Can you believe that, Tom? That was a fun time for many reasons, some which we won't disclose here. But <laughs> from the business perspective, a fun time, fun time with Philip. But um, from the business, you know, and I think about that now, uh, we were selling enterprise software as that was just booming. And before I got there, yeah. I did consulting, I did sales, and I did a little bit of uh, software development. So I got a little bit of that cred there. Uh, I was a, working in a consulting company. We were helping J.D. Edwards, the software company where you and I worked. I was consulting to them first, mm -hmm. and I actually uh, wrote a little bit of code. I wrote the unit of measure conversion routine so that we could sell in multiple uh, currencies and weights and measures. And then... Um, but more, I was more of a sales guy and a consultant. And then, um, and then uh, I got the opportunity to to join JD Edwards in Europe and help them grow those operations. And uh, it was, you know, for you and me, right place, right time. And I had been working consulting, and we were developing custom software. So going way back, big companies wrote their own software, and so for the first time in a big wave, big companies were buying off-the-shelf software, which we sold. So I'd sold like a million-dollar deal. They'd get software for the whole company. And prior to that, been custom. And so it was just a crazy time. Think about that. Now, as every new wave comes about, you know, blockchain or AI now, like, oh, it's the time and the place for AI happening. It's the time for enterprise software. Yeah. We were very fortunate, I think, to be yeah. there when that was just booming. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th th those are really fun times. Yeah, that was great. I, I had bounced between consulting and sales and, um, you know, doing those big deals. It was complex selling. And I remember we were at a lucky place where they gave us all kinds of training. I remember all the, the solution selling training, the complex sales selling, the, you know, mm -hmm. blue sheet selling and all these. I talked to some, you know, younger CEOs today who are doing the sales and they're like, how do I sell to a bigger company? Do you have any tips? And I'm like, any book I should read? I'm like, there's a whole genre of this. Stuff. There's a, yeah, there's blue sheets. decades and yeah. decades of training around this stuff. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So sales to VC, obviously not quite as quickly as I just made that phrase, but VC, I'm I'm always fascinated um, with that world. How do you? First of all, how do you move into that? And why? And and how do you make it work for you today? I mean, how do you make the decisions that are so important? I mean, two deals a day? My path here was not direct, so I would not you know, take anything I say here to be any advice on how to get to be a, a venture capitalist because um, I've done all kinds of stuff and I just went to you know, the next fun challenge. So as I say, I did consulting and sales operations. I did um, corporate development, buying and selling companies. I worked at a bank with private equity funds and I uh, was CEO of three different venture-backed companies. So I've you know raised money, I've invested money, I've bought companies, I've sold companies, and I worked at venture capital firms, Breakaway Capital, Highland Capital. Um, so I've seen it from different sides. And then back in 2018, got invited to, to start this fund here and uh, it sort of pulls it all together for me. 
I, I like it. So when, when I talk to a CEO now looking to invest, I just got off the phone this morning with a CEO in Singapore, and I had lived there for a while. It was doing a, a map-based uh, application, which I had run a company that had a map-based application. So I, I've got all these things to pull from, I, you know, and can relate to the CEOs and their challenges and the horror that it is <laughs> to be a CEO of a growing company and all the pain and all the joy and the fun that's associated with that. So I, I pull from a lot of my experiences to empathize, understand what's important to look at in a company. So do you do you um, consider yourself a sector specialist coming out of um, technology, you know, enterprise solutions, that sort of thing? Um, or, or are you really working to be much more of a generalist from the standpoint of the kinds of companies that interest you and interest the, the fund? Yeah, more of a generalist, right? So our fund is for individual people to invest in. We don't have big pension funds and endowments as our limited partners. It's all individual people. And so for them, this is likely their only exposure to this asset class in their portfolio. So they're not building a portfolio of 40 million of Sequoia Healthcare, mm-hmm. 20 million at early stage in Dreesen Horowitz, like this is it. And so we sort of try and think of ourselves as almost like the Vanguard total market ETF index fund to venture capital. So I'm purposely building a diverse fund. So they're de-risking that sector, stage, and geography risk. Mm. So for me, who's worked at early stage and late stage companies, who's worked across multiple industries, Bull and I were selling across all kinds of industries, and I've lived around the world, geographically diverse, it's a great fit for me because um, I get to sort of have a like my old consulting hat on and look at new problems every day. So I'm not the expert in an industry. I'm not a pet technology or a prop technology or a food technology expert, but I've done enough deals and I've got the resources in different areas to rely on to, to do my diligence. So it's great fun. Talking about diligence, Tom, what, what, what do you look for in a, in a deck or, or, a, or a presentation or a pitch to you for, for investment? What are the key factors that will sway you in a positive way? Yeah, I got trained at Highland Capital. So we looked at three things, the the management, going to be a good team, know what they're doing. Early stage, like they're going to pivot and do something else perhaps. <laughs> You're really backing the people. The market, it's going to be big enough. So it's if it's a good idea, but you're never going to sell a lot. And the product, it's got to be a good product, defensible, got a way to get to market, et cetera. Uh, those are the three main things. And then we also look at uh, two other things. We look at the the terms, mm-hmm. get it at a good price. Mm-hmm. And we're doing a lot of deals, so we get a pretty good feel for what the price is in the market. And lastly, since we're a co-investor, we also look at who we're investing alongside. See, well, I'm not sitting on 100 board seats, so we see who's on the board and mm-hmm. make sure they're in good hands there. So how, how do you value a company these days? I mean, what what what, what gives you the uh, the sense of something, like a company that's overvalued or undervalued. What's your process for for validating that? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like real estate, right? What's your house worth? You know, it's it's hard to say. There's not a set price. It's what the market will bear. And so I've done a lot of uh, acquisitions and selling companies and trained on discounted cash flow analysis, and you could forecast it out and based on interest rates and growth rates, what will it be? And I think about that a little bit, but really... Um, it's more sort of looking what the market bears uh, for that, you know, stage of a company, comparable companies in that space. So it's definitely 
more art than science. But you know, recently, you know, the valuations in the in the market, in the public markets, and the private markets have dropped a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, CEOs who don't recognize that and try to hang on to last year's valuation, mm-hmm. uh, because like, hey, I was worth forty million last year. I know I was. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's uh, that's when you get in trouble. It's, it's a tough time. It's like so was your house, right? Exactly. Only yeah. this year, right. right? Only this year, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so Tom, I'm I'm actually really intrigued mm-hmm. because um, you, you you have this, like you said, generalist view, both ge- geographically, sector wise, experience wise, stage wise, early, late stage, etc. What are some of those just observations? Maybe it's a better way to to ask the question that you've made over time, and I'm sure it's changing, but. Yeah, I I um I think that's fair and you know, East Coast versus West Coast or what's coming out of Israel, you know, cybersecurity coming out of there, you see, you know, better stuff. But um I was talking to a South African CEO this morning, a Singaporean CEO, and I don't put too much stock in to that. I, I'm more interested in the people, you know, the CEO Sing, Singaporean CEO actually was originally from Holland mm. and the South African CEO was now where is he living Philadelphia or something when I talked to him today so yeah uh, it's a more global market I look at but do you see any difference to Belen's former point about uh, valuations I was talking to somebody and they they made just a statement in passing that um, they're seeing some really really interesting companies coming out of the Asian markets at a lower sort of equivalent valuation, then you might see the same thing coming out of, let's say, the U.S. Do you do you see that at all? Yeah, I think there's a discount for non-U.S. companies in general. Certainly can invest internationally for less than you invest domestically. You know, within the U.S., there's a premium in San Francisco area. I had a company that was up in Portland and they're like, we're less expensive because <laughs> we're not in San Francisco. Goes for houses too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, talent's cheaper and yes. houses are cheaper. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's been research showing that companies in the Midwest will outperform the market, right? Because lower valuation to start, mm. and you know, similar in real estate. Even though mm-hmm. California, mm-hmm. San Francisco real estate is the most expensive, it has historically grown more than anywhere else. You can get a cheap house in Detroit, yeah, for sure, but hard to get the growth you'll get in California. You're from the Boston area. What 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 what's Boston like in terms of a startup hub? Uh, what are some of the characteristics and, and what makes it different from, let's say, Austin, Texas, or or obviously Silicon Valley itself? Yeah, I don't look at the um, the stats these days again because I'm just guessing, you know, globally. Um, but I think historically, Boston's been a great place for venture. I don't know where we rank now, uh, but certainly top five or top three. It was the some of the first funds were here in Boston. One twenty eight was. Uh, the big tech hub before Silicon Valley. So now I think Silicon Valley is number one, and then you know Boston or New York's number two. But Boston's got a great ecosystem, a uh, ton going on. It's a global hub for pharmaceuticals, mm-hmm. for education, for money management, mm-hmm. uh, and for sports teams. I think that's nobody will debate me on that, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I have it a little bit easy here because we're pitching individual people to come in. If you're listening, you can look me up and talk about investing in the fund. You know, for a small amount of money, if you're a credit investor, you can invest in the fund. And it's easy because it's sort of unique, our offering. 
right? It hasn't really existed before, this ability for an individual to invest in a diverse portfolio of quality venture capital deals, right? You can invest on your own. You get your nephew's app or your mm-hmm. next door neighbor's restaurant, like in private companies, you can invest in those. But it's hard to get into the top venture capital firms unless you were in Sequoia 10 years ago and you've got 20 million and you know someone that you, you really can't invest in some of those top top funds. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so if you want to put you know just a little bit of money in and diversify your portfolio, it's the first time to do that. So when we talk to, to people, it's a pretty easy conversation. It's super cool too, right? Because you're you get to see like the leading edge companies, what cool technology is coming. It's such a uh, rewarding seat that I sit at because with like all the troubles in the world, and you know, can all say things are going to be horrible. I'm seeing stuff that is amazing. Mm. That CEO this morning in South Africa got a new medical treatment to uh, cure some types of blindness. We're seeing things around reducing carbon around the world, new way, new medicines, new foods, new vehicles. It's just the stuff that's coming is crazy. AI, we can talk about that. Things are coming with AI. It's insane. So you think about like, oh, everything's been done. What's happened since the iPhone, you know, Facebook, what else, you know? <laughs> like there is crazy stuff coming. So as an investor, you get to see these things and it's it's um, exciting, rewarding. Yeah, makes you feel like things are moving forward. So, so what stage companies do do you look at? We'll do a pre-seed to seed deal and right on through to pre-IPO growth stage. We can invest, we can follow our companies all the way through. And when I build my portfolio each year of investments, I'm purposely spreading it out across stages, sectors, and geographies. Okay. And so if I have some companies I want to send you to look at. <laughs> That's why I'm here, Shelly, right? To talk to you, like spread the word, please. Anyone listening, you know, if you've got a promising company, let me know. We'd love to look at it. Super. So how many of them do you personally look at? I'm, yeah, I don't know that number, but you know, thousands a year and I'm doing about, uh, yeah, a portfolio about 25 mm-hmm. a year, which about half of those I'm leading on. Mm-hmm. So maybe once a month I'm making an investment from you know, probably over a thousand companies coming through. I'm envious. <laughs> so, Tom, what impresses you from a, a founder and a, and, a, and a founder's team perspective, and what frustrates you as well? You know, because you see so many pitches, and there must be some element of frustration there as well. The the, the team, the you know, the earlier stage the company is, the more important the team is. If you're a late, late, late stage company, I want a good CEO who knows how to take you public. But there, it's more about the financials and cash flow and stuff in the early stage, like cash flow is horrible. You're losing money. I know that. So I don't care, I don't care about the financial picture. I care about the, the, the people and good people who know what they're doing, trustworthy, communicate well, like to have some experience doing it before, which is just difficult uh, for, for new people. Uh, I back a lot of women, uh, a lot of uh, minorities. I try and go extra hard to to find that, so I'm trying to expand the pool. But uh, you know, if someone has had success at this stage and in this sector before, it's more reassuring, if possible, than someone who's you know been doing something else for 20 years. Want to give this a try? So I like someone you know easy to work with and someone who can communicate well. Just had 
two CEOs recently who I get on the call and I say one introduction and they talk the entire time. And actually they both said, I know I can talk too much, but one more thing. And I'm like, dude, you, you know that. Like, I've got a series of questions I got to go through. Got limited time. Let's just get through this. And often they're talking about, you know, we've got 30 minutes and you spend the whole time talking about the market or the whole time talking about the product and you don't get to the rest of it, then, you know, it's cool and it's exciting. That's what you like, but you're not, not helping your case. So like someone who can communicate well. So, so, so a question which Belent can't ask, but I can ask. So you mentioned female founders. Um, I'm, I'm kind of interested in your perspective. So female founders seem to be making more inroads these days. You know, if you just look over time, um, there are more of them and, you know, there are, there are support mechanisms and all sorts of things. What's, what's it like for females in the VC world? Cause one tends to think of the VC world as, you know, fairly male dominated and, uh, kind of in some ways a close club, but I know that's not true, but have you seen changes and, and are they moving in the right direction? Yeah, I, I think it's just horrible. So <laughs> I think we can, pat ourselves in the back and say it's moving in the right direction and I suppose it is. Uh I don't I don't look at those trends, but it's still I mean we need to do a lot more. Mm-hmm. So I just work extra hard to try and uh support women and seek out good women and network and help them help each other. That's excellent to hear because you know you're you're a gem among men, Tom. <laughs> well, I've got two daughters and um, you know successful wife. And I think we can all just do a lot better if we get some other voices in the room. Well, power to you, Tom, for making progress in that direction. Um, roll the clock four or five years on and what the, what would the world look like, especially with, with, your, with your support and your cash that, that comes from your fund? Yeah. I mean, we're on this sort of hyperbolic curve of growth, right? So what the iPhone came out, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 something years ago. Mm-hmm. And before the mobile phones were big, did you really think you could stand on a street corner and summon a cab and hop in the cab and then mm-hmm. hop out without paying? Like Uber allows you to do all this stuff. Like we weren't even thinking about that, right? So what's going to be the next 10 years out? It's just so hard to say. But, you know, like the movie Minority Report and Tom Cruise moving things on the screen, but like this is coming with, you know, augmented reality and screens in front of you and mm-hmm. haptic touch looking at companies where you, Feel like you're touching something, but it's a little puff of of uh, sound, and you feel like you're touching, you know, Princess Leia standing up in the hologram, like you'll holograms <laughs> and augmented reality, and you'll feel you're touching it. And it could be. I'm looking at companies like artificial smelling, like mm. computers today are really you're typing it in, or if it's voice, it's sort of voice to text, and it's not your computers aren't listening. And there's technology out there to like to allow computers to listen. You know, you can hear what's going on around you. When I'm driving out of my driveway, I listen, is there a car coming over the hill, right? And so computers should be listening to what's going on, smelling what's going on. Disease is going to be diagnosed by smelling. So what if our computers could smell and what if they could listen? And what if, you know, we had holograms on our desk that you could touch and twist and expand? And I haven't even got to AI yet, right, where in 10 years, the planet could be dead and barren with AI taking over. Or it, it could be, you know, so cool where AI sort of creating virtual realities that we can interact in and see AI solving 
so many healthcare problems, diagnosing stuff, yeah. looking at uh, x-rays. Mm-hmm. I think healthcare is amazing, what's coming in that area. I think carbon and energy stuff, we're investing a lot in that space. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, we have to do that. Hopefully, a lot more of that going on. I'm giving no specific examples here. I'm just sort of sharing the excitement. It's crazy. We don't know what's coming. It's a brave new world. What's your personal view in the next, well, let's say the next two or three years, the impact of artificial intelligence on our lives over over the short to medium term? Well, there's rightfully a lot of concerns. Mm-hmm. I think we got to get some regulation around, um, around it to understand how the decisions are made, which really can't do so. I, I'm not proposing an answer, but we got to think about how to uh, control it and track it a bit. So plenty of concerning things. On the positive side, it is spectacular. So Bolin, as we said, when you and I were selling enterprise software the first time, if you're a company and you want a software before you had to build it yourself, and then all this packaged software became available, it just changed the way companies were run around the world. Imagine if companies didn't have standard software yeah. these days, like that'd be horrible. Mm-hmm. And AI is going to be the same way. It's going to just transform businesses and yeah. our personal yeah. lives. And I think it's going to increase creativity, right? So I used to like photography as a hobby mm-hmm. and I had a number of cameras and lived in, in the UK and traveled around Europe with, with Bowen and took a lot of pictures and, and, uh, it took a long time to get one good picture. And now everyone's got a camera and they use it all day long. And there's a ton of great photography art out there, right? And so with AI, I think like one of the things is going to make it better for people to be creative. That, you know, I was a good drawer in first grade, but I'm not a very good artist now. But with AI, I can sort of describe what I want to see and it'll get me to think about maybe being creative again. So I can draw pictures, I can create movies. I think you'll be able to sort of describe a movie with artificial actors and soundtracks and voices and create stuff. I mean, it's going to be fun. So, you know, some of those people will be out of work, you know, the artists who took 40 hours to draw out this beautiful hand-drawn drawing. But I think those people can go on to do more creative things because the art is not so much that 40 hours of doing those etches to draw it out. The art was really the idea how to draw that. And they'll be able to do more of that. So I think the professionals can do more interesting things mm-hmm. and the amateurs can start to do it, <laughs> which we haven't done it. Like the calculator, right? So before the calculator, you know, if you want to do a large math problem, only the pros can really do those because yeah. uh, you had to do it all by hand. And then the calculator came like, now everyone can add it. Like the, the point in the math was not the adding the numbers together or figuring out a square root. Like that's not the math. It's like, you know, how do you get there? Yeah. So I think it's going to come faster and faster and we'll see, you know, your, your, some of the uh, drudgery of your day-to-day work of, you know, ugh, replying to that same email. Yes. Thank you. I would like to come. What time is the dinner? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> That'll be done for you. So I think it, it's coming soon and we'll get rid of some of the, the drudgery stuff. I like that perspective. Fantastic. <laughs> wow. That's an excellent perspective, Tom. And uh, I think you've, you've enthused us all to look forward to that near-term future. And, uh, and partly thanks to you and your fund and your team that you're making those sort of investments around the world that make some of these things really come true and move them from science fiction to science fact. That's truly exciting. Yeah. Well, Tom, it's been a, a lot of fun to, to, to really 
catch up with you and appreciate your time. Uh, I know your time is precious. So thanks again for your insights and, and for your time. Thank you for the time. It's great to talk to you both and great to think about the future together with you. It's a pleasure. Well, Shelley, it was uh, really good for me anyway to, to meet Tom again. Uh, as you've heard, it's been a long time since uh, I worked with him and spent some time with him. Um, he's a great guy. He, he's got a lot of experience and he's taken every opportunity that's come across, I think, in his career to learn different experiences from around the world and in different disciplines. Yeah, I found it fascinating. It was very nice to meet him. He's a very warm uh, personality on top of obviously being very, very knowledgeable in his space. Um, so a couple of things struck me that let me, let me just highlight. One, I absolutely loved his little discussion on valuation because it resonated with me. And, you know, valuation is one of those controversial topics, whether you're talking to an investor or whether you're talking to an entrepreneur or whether you're talking to an advisor, everybody has a different idea. And what I, what I loved about what Tom said is he said, well, what's your house worth, yeah. right? It's worth what the market will bear. And I, that just hit home to me because, you know, we're, we're all trained uh, to look at the different methodologies for determining valuation and dropping in numbers here and there. And and don't get me wrong, that is valid as a starting point. Yeah. But I think the the issue he highlighted, which is very important, is valuation. There, there's an art to determining valuation. Yes. And it does have to take into account the market, what at the current moment in time the investing environment looks like, where the company is located, what the competition is, all of these things, what stage of course the company finds itself. I'd love to pick his brain more on that particular topic. And your analogy to the property market, you know, the, what's the value of, of our homes uh, and they can go down as well as up. I think that was a really important point for people to understand because founders just expect their businesses to go up and up year after year. And if you're doing another round of funding, you expect a, a big uplift from the last round of funding. But that isn't always the case. And I think people need to accept that there are times when actually there might be a small down round, which can sound pretty bad, but they, that could just be down to uh, sort of market conditions and specific circumstances. There's always this... Um feeling, you know, a down round is a pejorative term, right? It's a bad thing. Not necessarily. And I think that the the smart investor and entrepreneur uh, will understand the circumstances that may cause a down round. And it certainly doesn't mean the death of a company. No. I loved his comments as well on AI. And, uh, you know, AI today is such a controversial issue. And, as one of our prior interviewees, Penny Power, talked about, mm -hmm. there are positives and negatives. And in her perspective, AI can help with productivity and, you know, you can do more with less in a way. On the other hand, it makes certain things like the human brain maybe a little less relevant. But what I liked about Tom's view is he came at it from the standpoint of this actually could be a huge weapon of creativity, if you will. 
And it's up to us as a society in general to try and navigate that. But there are a couple of things that struck me as well about what Tom said. And it echoes some of our earlier guests in this particular series. When I asked him about what the key things are that he looks for, uh, so that he has a positive perspective on a pitch. He, he narrowed it down and, and distilled everything down to three key areas. He, he talked about team, market, and the product. We've heard that before. We've heard it before. Yeah, no, absolutely. In fact, Michael Blakey in episode seven, he said a lot of things about the people, the team. And of course, that's critical. You need excellent people with vision, with passion, with energy, with um, a good, clear understanding and a plan. These things were really important. In fact, Helen said that, didn't she? Come with a plan in episode eight. Helen also spoke about the market as well. You know, Mm -hmm. is the total available market, is that big enough? And of course, the product does need to be good enough so that it can start to build momentum in terms of sales and revenue. I found it actually reassuring that these same concepts are the ones that we've been looking at all along as either entrepreneurs or investors are the right ones. Thanks for listening to Startup Sensations. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. Get in touch with us. Email hello at startupsensations.com. And that's it for another episode of the Startup Sensations podcast. Don't forget to follow us on all social media channels at Startup Sensations. And please do contact Shelley or myself via email and tell us what you think of the show so far and any suggestions or recommendations that you may have. Looking forward to next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.